That is what the heart of worship is, isn't it? And I don't like these at all. But it's a small price we pay, isn't it? For being together in the body of Christ. Thank you so much for putting up with this small inconvenience. Every five years, the World Seventh-day Adventist Church in general conference session gathers. In 2021, 2,700 voting delegates representing more than 21 million members from over 200 countries will gather to elect world leaders, deliberate on worldwide church ministry matters. In addition to that, 70 to 80,000 more people travel from all around the world to worship, to be encouraged, to connect. You know, it has to be one of the diverse gatherings anywhere in the world at any time. People of every race, every color, every language, every shape, every size, every smell, every clothing are there on display. The world, in all its variety, in one place is what it is. And one of the most colorful and inspirational features of the gathering is what they call the Sabbath afternoon mission pageant. Representatives from nearly every country on earth dressed in their colorful native apparel parade the work of God around the world. If if the thought has ever crossed your mind that we here at Village Church are the church, you've got to think a little bit bigger than this. Such gatherings as the general conference session of God's people around the world massively expand that idea. We're in the middle. We're at episode three of a, what we're going to do as a six-part series where we're examining what the Bible has to say about the word pictures used for the church. Each of those pictures help us to understand a, a larger part of the landscape that is included in this word, church, what the Bible has in mind for us as God's church. Last week, we looked at maybe one of the most striking pictures, the church as Christ's bride. It's, it's one of the most compelling pictures, one of the most compelling portrayals of God's intimate concern and care for his church, his, his people, his interest in us as the body of Christ. And this Sabbath, we're going to look at what Bible scholars call the Apostle Paul's favorite description of the church, the body of Christ. Paul uses this metaphor in nearly every one of his letters. The letter to the church in Rome, the letter to the church in Galatia, the letter to the church in Colossae, the letter to the church in Philippi. And in his um, robust description, description of the church as a body, it's most concise and full in the letter to the church in Corinth. It starts this way, chapter number 12. 
and verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you a part of it. Now Paul's analogy of the church as a human body um, displays some of the most important truths that are vital to us and our experience as disciples and our life today for him. And the first one that it tells me about is unity, the body of Christ. God's church is not one flavor, it's not one color, it's not one philosophy, it's not one age, but it is one body, one body. It's purposeful, it's powerful, it's a calling out, it's a gathering of believers from every continent, from every ethnic background, from every people group, from every culture, everyone who surrenders to Jesus Christ and has given their heart and their mind to this one true God and who have surrendered themselves to to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and joined his eternal family and become carriers of the good news. God loves, Jesus saves, and he's coming back soon to take us to be with him. That's his church. That's God's church. That's the body. And this is how Paul describes it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made of, of one part, but of many. The body. Unity in the body of Christ doesn't come because we're all Italians. Unity in the body of Christ doesn't come because we're all women. It doesn't come because we're all Seahawks fans. It doesn't come because we're one political party. Unity comes, as this verse says, because we're all baptized into one spirit. That's why. That's the, that's the motivating force. That's the force behind it. All baptized by one spirit. It's not a, a gathering created by social interrelatedness. We're not joined because of our interest in knitting or biking or birding. We're not joining together because we're stirred by social justice. Although all these things may be interesting and important, but we're joined together by the Spirit of God that comes to reside within the folds of our brains, of every brain that says yes to Jesus Christ. That's the body of Christ. The church began in a much different place than this, than what we've talked about now. Originally, the church was just a tiny slice of humanity, just a sliver of ethnicity, one particular nationality. That's what it started out with. One cultural mindset, one religious perspective. That was the church at the beginning until Cornelius until Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman military leader. 
He and his household, however, were sincere, devoted followers of God. They were known and respected by the Jewish community. And they were regular worshipers along with them and givers, big givers. But they also were merely Jewish proselytes. A distinct, a d- distinct group of outsiders that come within the parameters of Jewishness, but they weren't Hebrew. They were called Goy. That's Hebrew for a Gentile, Goy. That's all they were, just Goy. But one day, this Goy was praying to God. Miracle of miracles. He saw a vision. And in his vision, an angel of God told him that God heard his prayer. Miracle of miracles. God hears our prayers. He does that for all of us. He heard Cornelius, and he told Cornelius, send for Peter. Now, at this same exact time, talk about a miraculous, serendipitous moment. At the same time that this outlier, this goy, this Cornelius, was being asked in vision to send for Peter, God was giving Peter a paradigm-shifting vision of who God favors and who he favors. No one is systematically disqualified from the kingdom of God. No one. Three times, you know the vision, it's there in, in, the, in the book of Acts, chapter number 10. Three times, a great sheet is lowered down from heaven, and God shows Peter a canopy of animals, edible and inedible, <laughs> kosher and dis- detestable. And then God speaks in Peter's ear, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter can't believe what he's just heard God say. And his reaction is double the disgust that any one of us here would have had. He's never seen or even eaten anything outside the boundary of Jewish dietary laws. And so he resists and he says, surely, surely not, Lord. Surely not. It's contrary to your instructions. It's contrary to your your." your details about clean and unclean animals, about healthy and unhealthy, about kosher and not kosher, then God insists. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Wow. Now while Peter is trying to make sense of this bizarre command, God tells him, hey Peter, go down now. There are three messengers who have come to visit you, and they want to take you to the home of Cornelius. Right then at that moment, when Peter was having that vision, those men were stepping onto Peter's property. And the Spirit says to Peter, don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story of divine providence and and transformational guidance. When Peter steps inside Cornelius's home the following day. There's a, there's a crowd there, an eager crowd. 
a God-fearing crowd, a God-seeking crowd, earnest goy, Gentiles, people outside, but they're waiting. And the vision, the invitation, the paradigm-shifting, attitude-transforming truth has settled in on Peter. And he understands what's going on. He says in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, you are all aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now realize how true this is. It is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God is not an American. God is not Chinese. God is not Hutu. God is not man. God is not woman. God is not a child. God is not a Republican. He's not a socialist. God's not a communist. The gospel sweeps up. The gospel net sweeps up anyone who believes. Anyone who calls. People of every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every political spirit. Did I say political? No. Every spirit, he pulls them all together. Every child becomes a part of his body. And it happens by calling Jesus Christ your Lord. Jesus Christ your Savior. By God's Spirit, that happens. Because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I have to say to you today, friend, Jesus is calling you. He's calling you today. He's inviting you today to become a part of his body. The church It's a difficult time right now, as I think of it. As difficult as I can remember. Some of you can maybe remember harder times. I I can't. Everyone, it seems like, is kind of being pulled by divisive and polarizing agendas, by radical and racial prejudices. Harmony and civility is difficult even within families. Families are being frayed by exclusive mentality. Some people are even frightened to be together for Thanksgiving. A spirit of distrust, a spirit of suspicion is undermining basic courtesy and bickering and division is becoming rampant. This is not the way of life. This is not the way of God's church, his body. God's church is countercultural. It's counterculture. We are a diverse people brought together from many places, many attitudes, many beliefs, but we're part of one body, one group. One spirit has brought us together, and that spirit cuts deeper than the multitude of things that divide. Because we've surrendered our lives to the headship of Jesus Christ. 
Colossians 1.18 says, He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. Now, a lot of people, when they think of the head of the church, the first thing that comes to their mind is, well, it's got to be the Pope of Rome. Or it's got to be a conference president. Or it's got to be some church leader that's quite noteworthy. Other people, when they hear the, the, fra- the phrase head of the church, they think of some place, some denominational headquarters in a distant city. But the Bible says that the head of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the only head of the church. His death on the cross, his death for your sin, for my sin, his resurrection from the grave, his ascension into heaven, his enthronement at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, placed him in charge of the church. He is the head of the body. Christ rules the church. And the body acts in unison with the head because it's connected. The two are together. As a believer, I'm a part of his body. I represent him. Take care. Take care. He guides. He controls. The head of the body, the head, is the control center. It controls everything I do, everything you do, from basic body functions to attitudes, behavior, personality. That's all in the head. If I wave my hand, it's following my head's command. If I smile, it's because something, some several hundred thousand cells in my brain have told another hundred billion cells or so to smile. The other day I was driving like I owned the road. I wasn't going fast. I wasn't being dangerous. I just wasn't being very polite. I wasn't. Especially to, to one driver that had frustrated me. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. My wife called me out. She happened to be with me. And she said to me, what if that person knew that you were the pastor of Village Church? <laughs> I am a part of the body of Christ. Ah, you are too. We are his representatives. And I wasn't being a very winsome picture of that body at that moment. I like the way one theologian put it. The work of Christ then, if it's done at all, will be done by his body. Wow, the church. There's a solidarity, isn't there? A solidarity. There's not not only a unity, there's a solidarity of you and me and Christ together. What we do for others. What we do with others. It's as if Christ himself is at work in us. Jesus said it happens something in something as simple as giving a cup of water to someone who's thirsty. Jesus said it happens in something as simple as making sack lunches for the homeless. Jesus said it happens in something as simple as visiting the penitentiary. Jesus said it happens as simple as going to the hospital. Jesus said, you're visiting me. 
I'm the one who's visiting, he says even. Matthew 25, verse 40, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it for me. Maybe this truth, maybe this truth is what was at the root of Paul's idea and his conception when he said the church is the body of Christ. Maybe that's what he was thinking about. Maybe maybe it was that when he was traveling to Damascus to cause mayhem for the church, for God's church. Maybe it was then when Paul was stopped in his track, tracks by a voice of Jesus pleading to him, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Me? That, is that Jesus speaking? Paul was going after believers, not Jesus. This is the point of Paul's amazing statement when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, look at that verse carefully. Because you'd almost expect that Paul should have said, okay, if he should have said, if he got his English right, he should have said, so it is with the church. I mean, he's talking about the body. He says, just as the body, though one has many parts, but all has all its parts form one body, you think he'd say, that's how it is with the body. No. He doesn't say, that's how it is with the church. No. He says, that's how it is with Christ. That's how it is with Christ. Because the church, the, the church is nothing like a birding club. The church is nothing like a feminist movement. The church is nothing like a golf society where there's passions and interests that connect and you pay dues to get together. The church is not a society. The church is a solidarity with Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. It's oneness in Jesus. And that's the third nuance that the church as the body teaches. Every other passion, every other politic, every other pursuit, every other persuasion is superseded by Jesus Christ. Everything is superseded. I love the way one theologian put it, just as God was incarnate in Christ, Christ is incarnate in the church. He is our passion. He's our focus. He's our inspiration. He's our meaning. He's our center. We are one with Jesus as much as the hand, as much as the elbow, as much as the foot has its existence by being part of the body and directed by the head. He's the glue. His spirit is what unites us. There's another nuance to Christ's headship and the church as his body. The body imagery communicates an interconnectedness between you and me, member with members, the persons that make up the body of Christ. We are all interconnected as much as a body is. One part is a part of the other part. A pastor was attending a, a convocation in Texas and it was his first time to the 
in the south and he was with a group of his friends and they sat down at the restaurant for lunch and he looked over the menu and when the, the waitress came up, he said, what's a grit? What's a grit? And with a bit of southern flair and sass, the waitress responded, honey, honey, grits don't come alone. There's no such thing as a grit. And I have to say, it's the same way with Christianity. Christianity is not a solo affair. It's not. There's no such thing as an isolated, solitary Christian life. Now, this COVID crisis has challenged that a bit, hasn't it? It has. The restrictions have uh, created some challenge, the, the, this distancing. It's, it's momentary issues that are causing concern for all of us. Health concerns have made us be careful and have momentary separations. But, hey, you know what? We're still not in this for ourselves, are we? Not at all. We're not in this by ourselves. Not at all. We're together. We're a body. A human body operates together. If it operates together, that's where harmony exists. Movement is a matter of a multitude to make my body move. It takes feet and hands and ears and eyes and legs the operation of the human body demands the cooperation of dependence and, and cooperation of all things together at one time. So it is with the body of Christ. Theologians call this in the church a, a mutuality, a interconnectedness or interrelatedness. That's what is happening in the body of Christ. You know, I remember the first time I saw a living cell, a living cell, in a microscope. It was in a high school biology class. And I'd seen lots of lifeless pictures, but this was mind-expanding when I actually saw a living creature. Our biology teacher had scooped up some water from a nearby pond. A bit of decomposed leaves and material floated in the muddy water and it smelled like death and decay. But when I touched a drop of that water onto a microscope slide, a whole universe appeared to me that I'd never seen before. Scores of organisms crowded into view, unfurling and flitting sideways, all excited by the, the warmth from that microscope, the light on the microscope. And there it was, that's what I was looking for, an amoeba, not that, back up. There you go. That's an amoeba. An amoeba. Huh. A mere chip of translucent blue. Barely visible to the unaided eye, but the microscope. Wow, with that, you could see all sorts of inner workings. Although it was just an oozing bit of gel, the amoeba performs everything that my body does. Sometimes with even more flair. <laughs> it breathes. It digests. 
it excretes, it reproduces, it thinks sometimes more clearly than me, and it moves 0.3 inches in a couple hours by plumping itself in front of itself and pulling itself along forward. A single-celled amoeba is a partner in this thing we call life, but it's light years light years away from the cooperation that takes place among my 37 trillion cells that make up my body. In their classic book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey compared the amoeba with a white blood cell. The white blood cell, there it is right there, that white blood cell that wanders through our circulatory system. And I love the way that Brand and Yancey portray these two selves. Here's what he said. The, they, the white blood cells, look exactly like the amoeba, amorphous blobs of turgid liquid with dark nu- uh, nuclei, nuclei. Yeah, I got that right. I'm so proud of myself. But as Brand and Yancey describe These two live completely opposite lives, completely different. The amoeba, it's self-absorbed, self-absorbed, but it's look-alike the white blood cell lives only to protect, lives only to defend the 37 trillion other cells that make up part of the body. Even though these, these big lumps, these white blood cells, roam through the circulatory system, and, and as Brand says, creeping along the walls of the veins, extending a finger-like projection, then humping along to follow it, even though they look like they're just meandering, listless, aimless wandering, as soon as it senses an intruder, and they, st- I don't, I don't know anything about how they know, but they know when there's an intruder and all of a sudden, the mission absorbs them. And it goes after this intruder, engulfs it, and destroys it. And most of the time, it's a kamikaze mission. It gives up its life. The human body is essentially a community, a community of living cells, like the white cell, each performing its singular vital function for the sake of the larger organism. That is the human body. Sometimes, sometimes cells surrender their life for the sake of the body. That's the way the body does. An amoeba, on the other hand, when it sees danger, it flees. (laughs) Not very fast, but it flees. When a white blood cell sees danger, it moves forward. A white cell can keep a person alive, like Beethoven, like Fassi, like me. The Apostle Paul talks about the church that way. That's how he talks about the church. The life and well-being of the human Body depends upon the cooperation and dependence of every part, and that's the way it is in the body of Christ. Look how Paul says it. 
1 Corinthians 12. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, there are many parts, say it with me, but one body. One body. Many parts, one body. Many parts, one body. Each part is different. Each part is unique. Each part adds to the healthy functioning of the whole. And that's the way it is in the body of Christ. There's an interconnectedness among us. Christian faith is more than my relationship with God. It includes you. It includes me. You include me, like it or not. (laughs) And it includes him and her and them, all of us. We are the body of Christ. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Your gifts, your spiritual enabling by God, joined with my gifts, combined with the contributions of members, all come together. Spiritual giftedness, bringing together hands and hearts and talents together. There's no rivalry. There's no division. There's no competition. We're one. We're a body. We're together. It's not me against you. It's not me better than you or you more important than me. It's none of that. As Paul said, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor honor to the parts that lacked it so that there could be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. That is the body. Never think, never think that your position, your standing, your contribution, your involvement in the church is unimportant or unnecessary or trivial. You may never know exactly what you do to help someone, to encourage someone, to support someone. You may never know the care that you you have meant to someone. You may never know it, but it's happening. Now you, I don't exactly like telling you this about me. You've never known it, but I have a foot problem. I have a foot problem. It's a relatively small thing. Uh, My toes bend down instead of pointing forward. Uh, You say, that's no problem, Jeff. Well, you try it for a while. See how it works for you. (laughs) It's never stopped me from running, never stopped me from walking, but it's certainly made my lowly feet be the attention of my entire body on occasion. And I just want you to know, never think that your part in the body of Christ is insignificant. Never. Never think that your part is unimportant. There's not a single person that's in that category in the body of Christ. Not a single person. Paul says, we're like an interconnected body. We thrive 
by cooperation. We thrive by dependence upon each other of, of every member, every person contributing to others. Every person in the body is vital to the body. One member helping, one member caring, one member serving, one member encouraging, restoring another member. That's the way it works in the body. That's how we grow together in Christ's image. He is our head. He gave us life so we could have life. And we are diverse, part of his body. But having been given life, we give our lives for others. We're directed by him. We represent him. We are Jesus in the world who showed us how to connect, how to serve, how to give. This afternoon, I'd like to just challenge you to think about some things, okay? Maybe you write this down, jot it down. You notice the first part is the same in every one, so you don't have to write, write down the whole thing. But why don't you, over lunch, think about these things, huh? How does the church, as Christ's body, inform and impact my relationships with those outside? Okay, how, how does thinking of me, or you, the church, as a body of Christ, how does that impact relationships with people in the world? Secondly, how does that truth, us as a body of Christ, the church as a body, inform my relationships with people inside the body? How should I be thinking? Should I be thinking differently about other members here, people outside? And last of all, how does the church as Christ's body inform and impact the way I think of myself and my role in the church, my role in the world? Would you think about that? Give that some thought this afternoon and let the Spirit of God move you to a new place. Take away the melodies Take away the songs I sing Take away all the lights And all the songs you let me write Does the one I am today Say the words you need to say see you in me let them hear you when I speak let them feel you when I sing let them see you let them see you in me who am I without your grace? Another smile, another face Another breath, a grain of sand Passing quickly through your hand I'd give my life an offering 
take it all, take everything. Let them see you in me. Let them hear you when I speak. Let them feel you when I sing. Let them see you. Let them see you in me. With every breath I take, I sing a simple melody, but I pray they'll hear more than just a song in me. that that by your spirit walking in your footsteps we can bring you honor we can bring you glory and that's what we want to do in this world in our lives in this church I pray that you would bless us as your body we are your body you are the head Lord may all our movements may all our thoughts be in accordance with your will and may they reflect your perfect love. Send us now by your strength into the world to show a new way, a new way of love, joy, harmony, peace, honor, hope. Until you return, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.